In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. I'm really excited to dive into this episode, partially because I think this is one of the mindsets, the mindset I can't afford adventure travel or I can't afford travel as a family is one of the things that really holds a lot of families back or thinking that it's not possible for them. And on the flip side, I've seen a lot of pushback or maybe maybe not pushback, that might be a little too strong of a word. In my Ordinary Sherpa Facebook group, again, that's a private Facebook group. If you would like to join, it's facebook.com backslash Ordinary Sherpa. There's been a lot of interest around this and how to understand how do you set up your budgets? Where do you go? How do you choose your locations? Things of that nature. And then in social media on Instagram, I had a couple people comment on some threads on, I wish you would be more transparent. And I think this is, you know, this doesn't even seem real. And I want to assure you, these are real numbers that I am not trying to, I have no intention or motivation of tricking you into anything. So I want to take you on our journey. From the time my husband and I have been together, What has this travel journey looked like in terms of a budget? I wanted to also give you some different examples of what have some of our trips been and the budget that's corresponded. You're going to see some growth or progression or change in values or, as you know, I like to test things. So there's no right way to do this, but you start to figure out what works best for you. And does this actually bring us joy? Are we enjoying this experience? And I never wanted to spend money on things that we weren't enjoying. So we've really had to keep testing that. And you're going to see that throughout. And, you know, you're also going to see some inconsistencies in how I track things. The way I track my money 10 years ago is very different than how it's not very different, but I didn't always keep track of every single receipt that just started happening more recently. So (laughs) I wasn't as sophisticated, maybe in my budgeting and money tracking 10 years ago. I just want to be really open and honest about it. Those are all things that you could come back and say, well, it wasn't this, it was this. True. That's a true story. I'm this is how we've done it. And I want to give you permission to figure it out for yourself and design a budget based on what you value and what makes sense for you. I just want to really challenge you through this. This was a challenge for us to look at the opportunities differently. I got the vibe when I was in my, I guess I was maybe 30 when we had our first kid, that that was not possible. And I wasn't ready to give up on the idea that we couldn't afford travel. And so we figured it out and we made it work and we tested if $2,500 was the budget we had spent, how could we keep doing that? So it became more of a game for us, of a challenge for us. And sometimes that that reverse psychology work. All of this is really less about what we actually spend our money on and more to think about how you could spend less in these categories or prioritize different categories in your budget so that travel could show up a little bit more frequently. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start actually before we were married in August of 2007, 
my husband and I took a 10-day road trip to Yellowstone on a motorcycle. And why am I telling you this? Because much of what we did, I think we can replicate today on a very similar budget. So I'm going to walk through what we did. And I talk a lot on this podcast about the four-day motorcycle trip that I think was the reason my husband married me. But this was after that, after we had done the quick sprint out to South Dakota, we decided we missed so much and we really wanted to dive in deeper. So we went back the next year and planned a, I believe, 10 days. It says 10 days, but I think in actuality it was 12 days. It might have just been the amount of vacation time. I'm not sure. So I'm going to walk you through a little bit of like what the itinerary was. I'll start with we left on a Tuesday night after work. We live in northeast Wisconsin. We traveled to La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is about a three hour drive. And three hours for us is very reasonable. Even today with our kids, we try to to plan our road trips in three to four hour periods because it's enough where it feels like you're making progress, but it doesn't feel like you've been traveling all day. And you're going to see that a couple times when we do road trips. Overall, this entire process was about, just to give you a concept, was almost 2,800 miles that we put on the motorcycle. And I only tracked the mileage. So for this budget, the amount of money I allocated towards the travel expense or the road trip or the gas was based on mileage reimbursement. And in 2007, that was 38.5 cents per mile. So that accounts not for gas, but it's a, you know, the wear and tear on your vehicle and insurance and all that kind of is wrapped into that number. So it's actually probably higher than our actual expenses, but that's just how I tracked it for this trip. So we left on a Tuesday, we headed to lacrosse, and we had a friend that was willing to host us. Again, we were just a party of two at that point. I think we slept on an air mattress. I don't even know. It was nothing fancy. We got in at like nine o'clock at night and we're out by nine o'clock in the morning. So, you know, some of these are just real short interactions. The next morning we drove from lacrosse all the way to Mitchell, South Dakota. And this was because we were pushing it. We wanted to get out west as soon as possible so we had as much time to enjoy it. And I can tell you that was probably not the best idea on a motorcycle. But at the start of the trip, we were eager to get going. And our philosophy for lodging, we didn't plan much in terms of lodging in advance. We would take whatever cheap hotel we could find. And that's because we were young and we could handle it. And so our budget for hotels, we would never spend more than $60 a night. And again, this was also 2007. So that may not be an option as much going forward. But that was something that was not a high value item for us. So in this case, Wednesday was a travel day. We drove the following day to Sturgis. And that is where we stayed from Thursday night until Saturday night. And while we were in Sturgis, we camped. In this case scenario, we brought our tent We brought an air mattress and we brought, oh, this is going to be funny later. We brought just sheets and a down blanket because we didn't have space. So a very different way to travel on a motorcycle is we had a pack on the back of my seat. We did not have a roadster. You know, these aren't the big cruiser bikes and we did not have a bike trailer. We had the saddlebags, which is like a bag on either side of the I don't know, do you call it a passenger seat? The back seat of a motorcycle. My husband drives a... um, a soft tail heritage, if you ever just want to look into what we have. But there's so there's saddlebags, and then there's a pack that goes on the back of my seat. It kind of attaches to the backrest. And I think we had the 
air mattress on top of the saddlebag strapped on. And on the other side was the tent. So we were kind of packed all in for 10 days in this little motorcycle. We wore our leathers as much as we could, and we only packed flip-flops and our leather boots. So our hard, you know, our, the clothes that we would need to ride and things that we, when we didn't want to wear all of our gear, what could be kind of the, the comfort. So we had very minimal things. And while we were camping, there were food accommodations on site. So usually what we did, and this is kind of a tip overall, is we always try to eat our first meal at home. And I, I'm saying like home in quotes, but you can't see me. At the location that we're staying, we always try to figure out a place either where breakfast is included, where we can make our own breakfast, or where we can get breakfast relatively inexpensively. And we try to also have that be protein packed so it'll stick with us. And then all of the other things we try to supplement throughout the day with just hearty snacks, healthy snacks. In this case, things like granola bars were often in our packs and nuts and trail mix, you know, all those just kind of random things that we would grab whenever we could. The other thing about when you're on a motorcycle and you have fresh air and, you know, sunshine all the time is it's just really exhausting. And so we never really ate very much. And when we drank, we mostly drank water just because you're so dehydrated. And in South Dakota, it is always windy. So you're always kind of fighting the dust and the wind. And so it's just really exhausting. So from overall, like a food wise, that was just a theme overall is we would eat breakfast at our campsite or at any of our accommodations if we could. We would eat snacks throughout the day. And then another just this is a theme throughout our entire budget is we always try to have if we're eating out. And that's a big if we don't eat out very often. But if we are eating out, we try to do a late lunch usually like a two, maybe two thirty, three o'clock so that you hit the lunch menu prices without having to hit the lunch hour rush. <laughs> so we try to, you know, frame our time as well so that we can have a mid-afternoon lupper, <laughs> supper, lunch kind of thing. And then maybe we'll grab a short snack or, you know, ice cream is always shows up in my agenda. So ice cream or something like that towards the end of the night so that we, and again, we just didn't value food very much. So I know this probably doesn't work as well for young kids, but that's kind of the mindset we use. We never have a big meal late in the day. In terms of our itinerary, so we we camped, then we would do day drives. We were in downtown Sturgis for part of a day. We did Needles Highway, Custer Park. We drove to Devil's Tower I would say maybe an hour away. So a lot of our entertainment, for lack of a better word, were these drives to a location of interest. We did not necessarily pay to go into any of them. Devil's Tower, you can see just by driving into the town. And we decided we didn't really need to get any closer. We thought it was cool. We weren't going to really hike around or explore it. Remember, we only had our motorcycle boots and our flip-flops along. So hiking was kind of questionable. And the other thing I would say around that is that we just didn't value, we weren't sure that paying admission was going to give us any greater value. So sometimes the adventure is just part of the journey. And I've talked about this a lot. It's not always about the in-depth destination and going deep dive. So that's another thing we've had to decide is what do we actually want to pay for? And so on, on this adventure, on this trip, we didn't pay for any admission uh, relative to when we were in Sturgis. 
On Sunday, (laughs) this is where things got a little more interesting. We left Sturgis, I believe either Saturday or Sunday, and headed to Yellowstone. And I remember, and in fact, I have pictures, it got so cold as we headed into Wyoming that we literally had to stop. It went from like 80 degrees and a desert in Sturgis to almost 50 degrees. So talk about a complete shift in temperature and having to pull over and put your leathers on. And I even remember putting our rain gear over our leathers. That's how cold it was. So the rain gear would potentially even add maybe another layer of insulation. I don't know. I also remember being pretty uncomfortable. And when you're cold and you're on a motorcycle, there's really no good way to warm up. Yellowstone was one of the only things we paid for as a motorcycle pass. I think our pass price was about like maybe 25, 30 bucks. It's not super expensive. We again camped and we camped in Grant Village near West Thumb. And that, I again, it was just a tent site. There was really nothing special about it. It was like 28 to 30 bucks a night. And when we were in Yellowstone, it was again all about like we had already paid our admission. So now we're in the park. We saw Old Faithful. We saw Geyser Basin. We tried to find a couple of waterfalls that didn't have super long hikes. Remember what I said before? Like we weren't really prepared for an all out adventure. So we did things that were just off the path, but not necessarily where there was a lot of tourists. So after we did Old Faithful, we tried to say, okay, where could we go where we're maybe a mile off the road worth not a lot of, you know, where people might not go. And that led us to Moose Falls, which was awesome. It was a super awesome waterfall where we just kind of played around. We took pictures and we explored and tried different angles. It was just a lot of fun to sit and be there in the moment and enjoying each other and enjoying the beautiful scenery. Another day we went down to the Grand Tetons. And I don't know exactly what we did. I have a lot of notes that say we hit, we did the Jenny Lake hike to Hidden Falls and Cascade Canyon. But I was looking back at my notes and that seems like a pretty intense hike. And I remember taking all day to be down in Jenny Lake area and in the Titans and loving it and seeing moose and a lot of really cool things. But I don't remember hiking very far. So I don't know if that's actually true or if, if we did that. That must have been okay because I guess I didn't even get blisters or something. I don't know. That's quite a while ago. So it's hard for me to remember and I didn't document it very well. Here's where things got really interesting. When we were staying in Yellowstone, it was cold. We had not accounted for the elevation change. And so we spent a little more money on going to breakfast, getting coffee, I remember one morning waking up and there was ice on our tent and we felt so bad because we're, you know, we're in tent area and we were driving a motorcycle. So when you fire that bike up at 6 a.m., you you do not have very excited neighbors, but we didn't really have a choice. We're like, we have got to go warm up somewhere. I remember going to the bathrooms and running the hand dryers just to like try to get my hands warm and trying to get hot water. And it wasn't delightful. And we had only had really like our canteens to drink water and refill the water. So I was like, oh, there was nothing warm. So on that day, I do recall like splurging. And by splurging, I mean, we went to breakfast and had hot coffee. And then we tried to be as active as possible so that we could just kind of keep our body temperature up a little bit. We slept in leathers. We didn't have sleeping bags. Remember, we had a sheet and a down blanket that we shared. And we did have towels. So we wrapped towels around our heads. So, you know, sometimes you just have to be really creative to make it work. 
Was it a miserable experience? Well, it was not delightful. I mean, it definitely was in that discomfort zone, that stretch zone. But we weren't panicking. We weren't miserable. We weren't going to die. There was plenty of people around. And everybody was in the shared experience together. So it was kind of just this collective discomfort that we were in. And that was something we never forget. We still talk about it to this day. Like, do you remember the day? Do you remember that night we slept in our leathers with our boots on and wrapped towels around our heads? Like we literally took everything out of our packs and wrapped them around us in any way we could just to try to stay warm. From there, we went to the northeast corner of of Yellowstone and left Yellowstone through Beartooth Pass. It is a fabulous drive. It is a switchback kind of experience. And you hit some really high elevations and it was gorgeous. But again, it got very cold. So again, we're in all in leathers. And from there, that kind of began the trek home. So we're near Billings, Montana. And if you recall, like we don't care too much about our accommodations. We were so exhausted every single day because of being in the elements that as soon as we hit the bed, we were asleep. And I remember my husband and I both going, oh, have we showered like in three days? Like maybe we should take a shower. And one of those nights (laughs) was a night that I was like, I don't know that I would have chosen this place if I had been fully coherent and in my right frame of mind. We just saw like a $39 price tag and we're like, that'll work. We hit the bed. We were asleep. The next morning we were showering going, oh, this is kind of gross. Let's get out of here as soon as possible. (laughs) So not all of our decisions have been fabulous. On the way home, so we we stayed outside of North Dakota and we stayed outside of Minnesota just before the border. And then Brent has family and friends on the western side of Wisconsin. So all all of the Wisconsin border areas, again, that's four hours from home, western Wisconsin border. Those we were able to just stay for free with friends or family. Altogether, if we use the the mileage as our guide, and, and this is hard because motorcycles cost quite a bit less and get way better gas mileage than cars do, but if even this is using actually car mileage, all in, we were about $1,700. And that's still, to me, I'm like, that can't be right because it felt like we were so broke then. But that's what I'm using. Again, it was 27, almost 2,800 miles And I look at that now, we're planning a trip out west now, and I don't think other than food, and I threw $500 in for food, I don't think we spent that much. If I look at this now, I feel like this is still really manageable for us. And we're going to try to replicate this this summer. We're going on a a road trip to South Dakota. We're not going to get all the way out to Yellowstone, but we're going to spend some time about this time frame with kids in an RV. So our gas mileage is going to be horrible. But I'm just kind of thinking, could we, I'm going to track it really specifically and see if we can still hit this budget price. And I know that's not really fair because we already did Hawaii and I'll, I'll come back to that later. So our year, this year kind of blew up on us, but I'm going to blame 2020 for that. I'm going to give you another example. In 2013, we traveled to Seattle. At this point, we had two kids and they were ages 14 months and three and a half. And We were in Seattle for six days. One of my hacks, and especially for parents, I always say, if you've got young kids, now is the time to go. When they're infants and toddlers, I find them way easier to travel with. You have more stuff, but things are way cheaper because kind of the threshold for charging is two and under, and sometimes it's four and under. So we found that to be, we always try to optimize that. In 2013, my daughter was under two, so she flew for free, and we found flight D-1. 
steal for $213 per person, which is a steal from, I'm pretty sure it was Milwaukee to Seattle. And I couldn't even tell you if it was a direct flight anymore. But either way, usually that's a a hack that I always suggest is try to pick your destination after you see the flight deals. We are never so set on our schedule or our location that we let that dictate our schedule. So in this case, we had just started exploring Major League Baseball stadiums and I saw this flight deal to Seattle and I said, you know what? I have family in Seattle. There's a Major League Baseball stadium there. Why don't we go there? There was nothing in our plan or on our bucket list or anything like that related to visiting Seattle. It just there happened to be a deal and we went with it. So sometimes that's how we, that's a, oftentimes that's how we choose where we're going is based on the flight deals. In this case, our flights were about $939 for three. There was parking in there um, for about $50. This was our first home away stay. And I said home away, they've been acquired now by VRBO. But that was our first day, and it was a mother-in-law suite in West Seattle. So another trick we always try to do is how can we stay in a less expensive place that is still safe? And one of the reasons I love having local connections to a destination or trusted advisors, so to speak, in my network of people all over the country is because I like to know when I'm going to Seattle, I don't know that location. Is West Seattle a safe place to go? How far is it? What am I going to have? What are going to be the issues if we stay in West Seattle? And that's where having a network is really helpful. And we had several cousins that lived in the Seattle, the greater Seattle area. And so I was able to bounce some ideas off of them. And this mother-in-law suite was perfect. We just needed one bedroom. Our kids were small and it had a pull-out couch. The kids could stay on the pull-out couch. There was enough space that we could still do naps and downtime. And my husband and I could just step outside on the patio and make sure it was really quiet without a lot of extra distractions and noise that would keep them awake. We also had our kitchen and this was kind of the turning point. Our kids you know, kids, our kids in particular, were always a little bit picky. And we never really felt like spending money on food was a good value for us. And eating out with kids is just tricky. So that was the first time that we had a full blown kitchen. And I was like, yeah, I don't know that I'm ever going back. And we really haven't. We've really avoided hotels ever since then. We did rent a car. And this was back when car rentals were cheaper. It was $37 a day for a Dodge Charger. And so that was $262. And our grocery bill was really inexpensive. So again, I think it was just because our kids eat things like noodles and bread and eggs. So I think part of that just has to do with the spillover of how we plan our meals and what our grocery budget looks like. If you want context as a family of five, our monthly grocery budget now is usually between $600 and $700 a month. So when we're on travel or when we're on vacation, There's nothing usually too extravagant about that. And I'll talk about food in our budget later. But one of the things that we've always aligned is like, we just kind of replace our food expense on travel while we're at home. You know, we try to keep them about the same. In terms of entertainment, and I think this is where we really started to get creative about how to see the best of without spending the best of, right? So we looked for really low cost or free opportunities to just experience the location. One of our favorite attractions, and literally our kids could have spent an entire another eight hours there easily, was the International Fountain. 
And this is a fountain, if you've never been, it's a fountain that plays music and it's quite a few different songs. It's not like it's playing the same routine over and over and over again. It's all different songs. The water spurts out and it's an open space and you kind of, I don't know, it's it's concave. So you kind of, the fountain is kind of down in a little valley and you sit around the edge up above. So the kids could run around. They were going down towards the water. We were there easily for hours. It was free. We had some downtime. It was almost like picnic time. It, it was awesome. That was one of our greatest memories, actually, of Seattle was hanging out at the International Fountain. We did not choose to go up to the top of the Space Needle. Again, in terms of value, I had been there before and I had seen it all. My husband hadn't, but I think he was just kind of done with the kids and didn't want to spend the money for the kids to have a less than desirable experience and didn't feel like he was going to enjoy it. So reading your kids and where they are and letting go of your expectations is also a really helpful tip just in terms of travel with kids. The bigger item for us that was like the big idea or the big exciting moment was the monorail. So we spent, I think it was like four or five dollars <laughs> to ride the monorail. Uh, we drove around Lake Union instead of taking a boat onto Lake Union just to see. We walked through Pike's Place Market. And then the Children's Museum had a free day, and we really try to be available during the week when we're in these cities so that we can take advantage of some of the kind of local things that don't necessarily cost as much or go when people aren't as active in those places. So like the Children's Museum on a Tuesday was a free day, and there weren't as many people because you don't have as, you know, more people were working then. The big draw for us was the Seattle Mariners game. And this is also where we just wanted to see the stadium. We didn't have a team playing. And this was the first time, too, where I wore my Cubs jerseys. My my husband wore his Brewers stuff. And I think the Mariners were playing the Red Sox. You know, it was people looked at us and they're like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And I was like, we just love baseball. OK, just let it go. Don't don't judge. <laughs> so this we again, it was a very cheap seats. We always try to buy the cheapest seats possible that are still worth it. These seats were $8 a game. I think parking was like $25. And we always try to show up early before the game because that's where you get kind of the hype. You get to go in the outfield and hang out and watch the players, maybe get a ball, watch batting practice. Like that's where a lot of the entertainment value comes from. And a lot of these stadiums now have other things too. So we always try to go enjoy the experience pregame and the pregame warmups and do a little bit of the playground or whatever the entertainment is for the kids, the family entertainment zones. Before the game, we also, by the way, have gotten some really cool giveaways from Major League Baseball stadiums. The socks that were given to us by the Mariners, we still wear to this day. So it's kind of a fun memento that didn't cost us anything. You know, we don't always have to buy trinkety stuff in order to remember the experience. And we also set boundaries around snacks. So we made a rule that at the third inning, the kids were allowed to go get a snack. And I don't want to be a stickler like, oh, I'm such a mean mom. I'm, yeah, I am a mean mom sometimes because I don't want to spend $500 in snacks at the ballpark when they're outrageously priced. So we choose, you know, we can share a snack. We try to do things that that are mutually agreeable. My husband and I might get a beverage, you know, that, and that's it. We don't spend a ton of money. We don't eat dinner there. We eat before we go. And the other thing is just because we're with kids, we usually leave shortly after the seventh inning stretch so that we can avoid traffic and just get home. And especially with night games, most of them start at six o'clock or seven o'clock at night. And we're there, you know, really around 530 or 430 if it's a six o'clock game. 
So it's just a long night with kids. And we've just found that that works best for us. From there, we went up to see my family. I have family in Laconer and stayed there. So that lodging was free. We took a ferry and we did a walk-on on the ferry to San Juan Island. So we left Anacortes, took the ferry, and that was, again, super cool experience. I think the kids were free. I'm not really remembering very well. Um, I have $32, so I don't think, I'm not sure if that was just my husband and I, and then the kids were free. There must have been an age limit. And then once we got onto the San Juan Islands, there was a shuttle that you could pay a lot of different rates. You could either do a one-time pickup, a round trip to one location on the island, or you could do an all-day trip. And we decided, I think we decided to do an all-day hop on, hop off whenever you wanted to. What I do remember about the San Juan Islands is we spent so much time at the Lavender Farm because the kids were just into it that we said, you know, it's not really worth going to all these other locations. So we really enjoyed that. All in all, I would say this was one of our favorite trips. And this was the trip where my husband recognize the value of travel, that we were really connecting as a family. There was no outside distractions. We were able to kind of turn off our expectations when things didn't go according to plan. You know, we had a plan, but we also learned when to adjust to that plan. And this also, this is when I was a Pinterest mom or thought I needed to be a Pinterest mom. And so I think I took things to the extreme too. The way I packed, I packed all the kids in gallon-sized Ziploc bags. It was probably not very environmentally friendly, but I will say I used every single one of those Ziploc bags and that was a helpful tool to have in my suitcase, you know, that I just had this bag that I could grab and go. So in case there was an accident while we were out exploring, I had everything ready to go. And it was it was insane though. I mean, I took it down to like the hair pretties that my daughter would have in her hair. My, my daughter didn't even wear hair pretties at that age. She hated them. So it's just kind of funny the way you see your uh, progression in who you become as a mom and who your kids become and what you really value. I could care less. Half the time, my kids don't even match anymore, and I'm okay with that. All in all, this trip cost us $1,800, just over $1,835. And I'm going to have the whole budget in the show notes, or you can go to the website for this, and I'll, I'll give you all the detail that I have. So just some takeaway tips from that is travel when your kids are young. Two and under, fly free. The admissions are often really inexpensive. And don't plan necessarily a bunch of money based on attractions. Things like seeing the flying fish in Pike's Place were amazing or rubbing the pig. So there's like this piggy bank in Pike's Place and rubbing the pig and putting, I think we put a dollar in the pig. That's what we spent or seeing the fresh flowers. Those were all really memorable experiences for the kids at Pike's Place. We didn't have to buy anything. There was no candy. There was no nothing. I mean, we really just kind of enjoyed and soaked up what the environment was as opposed to making this big purchase. The other thing is, what is the magical moments that are going to keep your kids engaged and be things they remember? For us, it was International Fountain. That water spewing out like, and the kids getting wet. Oh my gosh. It's like going to a water park. It was a free entertainment for an entire day. We've done this a couple of times where you just go to a fountain rather than pay for a water park or a pool. (laughs) I don't know. You might want to call us cheap, which is true. And that's okay. I'm embracing that. I don't mind it. I also like to think of the experience through the four-year-old eyes. So often as adults, we have our vision of what the summit is. And we lose sight of all these little details along the way. 
For example, if I would have focused on getting to the top of the Space Needle and not recognizing that my four-year-old could have cared less. He was not, he was like super excited about this fountain thing, or he was just running around having a good time. He, it wasn't worth going to the summit and I'm calling the top of the Space Needle the summit for this experience, a pricey summit, by the way, one with a large admission price. If I would have focused on my summit versus the four-year-old summit. And for the four-year-old, it was getting out of the car. It was playing. It was running around. It was getting wet. And so that's a really critical takeaway for me in my parenting and adventure and travel journeys have been just look for the little things that are keeping their attention and lean into it, right? Let it happen. We had some really awesome, memorable experiences too at the baseball game. Uh, My son was given a baseball We did not catch one, but then at the very end of batting practice, a player called him down to give him one personally. So that was super amazing. And that experience cost us $25 in tickets for the baseball game. Not even, $24. So look for ways that, I mean, we sometimes think we have to spend a lot of money in order to get a high value experience. And that we have found not to be true in our family. This was our first home rental as well. And that's where... We decided that there were things that were just enough for us to be comfortable. And we decided from there that the kitchen was one of those things that was just enough. We could care less about the sleeping accommodations. We could care less about the pool, the any, I mean, walking distance. There were a lot of things that we realized we just didn't value that were coming with hotels. And it wasn't worth it for us to continue to go to hotels after this because the kitchen became the deciding factor. And lastly, design an experience where you can connect with friends and family. For me, I have a large extended family or friends from college all over the country. This is an excuse to try to connect with them and say, hey, I'm going to be in the area. Is there any chance you'd want to meet up or have a connection? One of our again, another really fun experience from this was I have a cousin that lived out there. And we just I mean, we were kind of like strangers in the night when he comes home to Wisconsin. He's down by Kenosha seeing his family. And it's just hard to get together. And usually when we're in that space, there's like hordes of people because our family's so big that we all like get together and you get 30 seconds with all of your family members. And in this case, when we go to them, it's just us and them. We don't and I don't want to say we're competing for time, but it was it was a very different experience. So we were able to invite them over They actually brought steaks to cook on the grill. Again, a benefit of having the Airbnb was that we had a grill on our patio. And they also brought cake pops, which was just a good way to win over my kids. They still talk about the cake pops, by the way. Funny little things, right, that kids remember. So again, all in all, that trip was $1,835. And the kids, that was four of us in Seattle for six nights, six days, six nights, something like that. The third trip is probably the most touristy trip I've ever done. And that's why I'm going to put it in here because I want you to see how we don't travel anymore, but that you can still do touristy and have a pretty small budget. So in 2017, we went to Florida and we stayed in Kissimmee for nine days. We had three kids ages seven, four and 19 months, and we drove on this trip. And part of the reason we drove was because we were going, we didn't have a lot of things planned locally. We were expecting to kind of go coast to coast and just explore. So we stayed in the middle of Florida for a reason, and we're going to be exploring. The reason, the the impetus, I should say, to this trip was 
my friend and I had both talked about at some point feeling like we needed to check the Disney box, but not, I mean, I think both of us were curious enough. They were much more into Disney than we are. And I think I was just curious from what I hear about it, like what makes it so magical. I I think it was that curiosity that really drove me. And so when we knew that this was a possibility, my husband, I, I always like to encourage, this is a huge factor now in our budget, is try to look at different ways to create the experience. And one of the things that was available to us was that my husband's health insurance gave us points. So you would track your health status, your ratings, your wellness, all these different things, and you would get points. You could redeem these points for uh, credits, I would say. You could get stuff or you could get gift cards. So I noticed one of the offerings was gift cards to Walt Disney or Disney gift cards, so to speak. And I looked into it. And yes, you can use Disney gift cards to pay for Disney tickets. And between my husband and I, we could each get $100 per year. If we maxed out all the things, we could get $100. And I was like, a $100 gift card to Disney will almost cost, will almost cover an entire day for one of us. So my husband and I both did that. That was $200 off the top. And that's really where all of the entire planning around Disney began. So that was one hack that we found. We still needed to buy, I think, two kids' passes. And so our price for admissions, you'll see, um, doesn't have a lot for Disney. And that's why, because we were able to hack it. On the flip side, just another one, we did go back to Disney years later. And while I'm thinking about it, I attend a lot of nonprofit fundraiser events. And Disney donates, or, or did at the time, I don't know if they still do, would often donate park hopper passes. It's common to see packages of four one-day park hopper passes. And I also won that a couple years later where we did four one-day park hopper passes and I got them for $200. Again, I don't know if that's replicable, but that's just how can you look at things a little bit differently or be open to the opportunity when they present themselves? And I don't know that my husband was thrilled that I won them because he was like, I thought we did that. (laughs) But we did do, and now I can fully say we did Disney for I don't know how many days and did all the parks. So sorry, I digress. In this experience, the we, we were going to Magic Kingdom. So that was kind of what got us down to Florida. And we had another family that was interested and their kids were similar in ages, not the exact same ages, but they had two older boys and then twin girls that were my daughter's age. So it was a good blend for us to have other people. And we had traveled once before. So we kind of knew this could work. And we split the cost of the Airbnb. And it, this Airbnb was huge, but it was extremely inexpensive. We were still shocked. We were like, how did this even happen? So it was $170 a night with nine bedrooms. And so if you, our total cost for the entire Airbnb for all of us, including cleaning fee, service fee, taxes, and to heat the pool was $2,065. But that was split now with another family. So our share of that was $862.50. And in terms of our itinerary, so we left on Thursday after work. We stayed with family on the south side of Chicago that night because we got into town at like 11, which seems late. Maybe it was nine. But then we got up really early the next morning and tried to just hit it. So we're just trying to like take the edge off. I probably would push that a little bit further out. So we went from 
uh, our home in Wisconsin to the south side of Chicago, which is just over three hours. And then we drove the rest of the way the next day with a stop in Louisville. And that was hard. So now we say, no, we've got to get a lot further. So we try to hit at least Indianapolis, ideally kind of Louisville. Anyway, long story short is put, we try to now push the boundaries on what is tolerable. So I mentioned three to four hours, but that's usually just a break point. It's not always, and then we'll do something and then try to push another, a little bit of time while the kids are sleeping. The drive to Florida was horrendous, but we got there. And the next day we were done. (laughs) We were all crap. So that next day was literally hanging out at the pool at the house. It was taking naps. It was getting groceries. It was just getting settled in. The following day, so we got there on a Saturday or late Friday night. So Saturday, we'd lounge around the pool, hung out at the hung out at the house. Sunday, we headed to Clearwater Harbor and did Clearwater Beach. So anytime we can add a free attraction with a paid attraction, that's ideal. So we never want two attractions that we have to pay for. Clearwater Beach was helpful because it was just fun and there were no expectations. It was really crowded though. The dolphin tail experience at Clearwater Harbor was something my kids had really loved. They loved the movie Dolphin Tales. So I was kind of like, this is going to be a high experience. We're going to pay for this. And I don't have any hacks on that. We just paid admission. On the day, so we try to go every other day. So highlight adventure, downtime adventure, highlight adventure, downtime adventure. So Sunday, we hit Clearwater Beach. Monday was just hanging out the community pool. We went to Walmart. I know, don't laugh at me, but that was where everybody was going to get their Disney items. That's a hack too. Don't always buy all your stuff in advance There, if you're not caring about it all being like custom name, all that kind of stuff. I made my own shirts the last time we went, which was fun, but like it's not necessary to have all Disney attire, by the way. We just thought it would be fun. So you'll see in our budget, we spent way more money this time on gifts and trinkets On Tuesday, we headed to Wild Florida to do an airboat tour and to visit um, to see the gators. So this is where, again, we paid money for an attraction. The airboat tour was pretty cool. And the kids, the boys in particular, really enjoyed it. It did bump up our budget. On Wednesday, there are a ton of natural springs in Central Florida. And I really encourage you to check them out. They're free. They're beautiful. They're great to swim in. There was a hike there. So that for us is kind of our typical adventures when we're traveling. And I feel like we should have done another day of that instead of just hanging out at the pool at the house. But that's okay. Thursday. So that was kind of our down day, by the way. That was a down day for us. And then Thursday, we did Magic Kingdom. I talked a little bit already about how we kind of hacked that price a little bit. And then Friday, we left to meet up with a friend in central or northern Florida and stayed there for the night. So again, that was a nice free night of lodging and just meeting up and seeing good friends and playing in the pool. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you don't see people very often, the kids remember those one-on-one experiences, even if it's only a couple hours. Speaking of that, from there, we went to Nashville and met up with a friend, with my cousin and got ice cream and went to a park. And again, highlight of the trip, we spent all this money on Disney and the kids talk about going to Nashville and eating that ice cream. That was Jenny's, by the way, Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream. We still talk about it. It's so good. Definitely on my top 10. All in all, oh, and then we did have one hotel stay uh, near Indianapolis on the way home. So all in all, our eating out and treats budget was way up. That was almost $350. Our gifts budget was way up, $252. Our groceries were a lot higher at $370.12. And that had more to do with mom and dad and the adults in that group, because when the kids went to bed, the adults would have some fun. 
Uh, so that budget was up. Our lodging with the split, again, that included the hotel stays along the way and the Airbnb was $875.32. We had parking a couple of times. So that was $26.25. And our entertainment slash admission was $485.70. So that's even with a little bit of a hack, but boy, that definitely was higher. So I was already like looking at this budget going, oh my gosh. All in all, and we track gas on this trip. So if you remember in the past, I had tracked mileage. On this trip, we didn't use mileage for some reason. We used gas, and that was $308.04. All in all, our budget for this, and again, this is where I feel like we were a real touristy family this year, that year, was $2,766.85. So even with all of those kind of luxurious things thrown in there, we were still able to maintain pretty close to our budget of $2,500. And I think that if we look back at all the things we did, I'm going to talk a little bit about our learning and our tips from this. There's a way to build attractions into your spend, but you also want to be thinking about that in advance if possible, rather than kind of being willy nilly. People plan on tourists spending money and they play on that. And every attraction will end in the gift shop. I was not great at this. I did not have the same mindset around behavioral economics or knowing my triggers. And of course, the kids were like loving the moment you're coming down off of this high. And of course, I let them buy way more than they ever needed. And so that for me was like a good checkpoint to say, oh my gosh, we spent so much more on gifts and treats this time. How could we have hacked that a little bit? So that's just something to think about is like, what are your boundaries and know them going into the experience around attractions and gift stores? Because it's very easy for the kids to talk you into a lot of things. I mentioned the benefits through my husband's health insurance and then also the silent auction. So again, when there's something that you're interested in or you've heard a lot about and you've been tracking on thinking it might be a bucket list item or a wish list item or the kids are asking about it, think about how can I hack this a little bit so that I'm not paying full price. And that's just, you know, the, the gift cards. Another thing we did the second time we went, in addition to the park hopper passes, my parents bought, or one of our parents, I don't remember, a Christmas gift or a birthday gift was a day pass or was something. One year, and I'm not going to go into the detail, but one year we went to Tucson, to Saguaro National Park, and my daughter's gift that year for her birthday or for Christmas was the cost of her horse camp. So while we were staying on a ranch at Saguaro National Park, the price of the horse camp experience now became her birthday and not necessarily a part of our travel budget. So even though there was a cost associated with that and we needed to account for that, that cost shifted to a different part of our budget. And we've started to do that a little bit with food too, because we're not necessarily, I've noticed when we go in the RV, I'm still buying all the groceries. Well, I'm doing the same thing when we go on a vacation. I'm emptying the house before we leave and then I'm not buying groceries before we leave. I buy them on vacation and we try to get really frugal and specific about what are, I don't like the word frugal. We try to get really intentional about our food and our meals when we're on vacation. So we don't have a bunch of leftover food as well. So we, we also have decided that the food budget, any grocery budget just stays in the grocery budget while on travel, as opposed to feeling like that has to be part of a travel budget. It's no longer a part of our travel budget. If we buy groceries, if we eat out, that's different. So we don't have a huge eat out entertainment budget. So that sticks with the travel budget. 
there are a lot of huge homes in Florida. And there's actually a lot of huge homes. It's not always more expensive per capita if you split it with another family. And that's tricky because we had to learn too, we weren't together with this family 24-7. We would kind of do our own things during the day and then come back at night. And that, I don't know, they always say distance makes the heart grow fonder. That helped us a lot because it kind of gave the kids some, we had our own family time, we had our own connection time, but then we would come back and the kids could play with their friends as opposed to feeling like we're stuck together all this time without any breaks from each other. That was really helpful for that. Everywhere we went on this trip, we packed lunches. We brought refillable canteens. We packed lunches even into Magic Kingdom. And I don't know if everybody knows that. That was a surprise to me that at least they used to. I don't know what's happening in 2021, but you could pack a cooler. You could bring a cooler in. They do check it and they went through it, but that saved us a ton of money. And I knew we always had kind of the snacks that we needed at the right time. So that was huge. And I wasn't always feeling like we had to go buy something because the kids are hangry. And then with long road trips, that can be tricky. And I have now decided, you know, there's a lot of, I call them little brown bag surprises. (laughs) Again, just take a lunch bag and throw a bunch of stuff from the dollar store or even existing toys, by the way. I go through the closet sometimes and find things they aren't really remembering they even have that I think they'll be intrigued by. So anytime the energy is low or they just need a little bit of a break, we either will take a break and look for playgrounds along the way, or I'll pull something out of my bag of tricks And some of those things have been pipe cleaners. It's a huge, quiet, takes care of some entertainment for quite a bit of time. Dry erase boards and fun surprises like ring pops or something that might go along with the theme of the vacation. And one year on this trip in particular, they all got those little sleep masks. And I don't know why, but that has been a fan favorite ever since. So those are just three examples I did not want to go into travel rewards. So none of these trips use travel rewards. I didn't want to give you any examples of our budget with travel rewards. I think that can be misleading. And for families who aren't quite ready for travel rewards, that's just a different way to cover the cost of your budget. And so I didn't want to confuse you or feel like you had to understand travel rewards in order to travel on a budget. If you are interested in Travel Rewards, episode 32, I talked just about how we use Travel Rewards to cover the cost of our flights to Hawaii and kept those prices to like it was under $500 for sure. And overall, our budget in 2021 is higher than $2,500, even with Travel Rewards, in part because 2020 screwed us all up. In that we got reimbursed a bunch of money from all the trips that were canceled. Some of them were credits. Some of them we already had started planning for 2021. And so we kind of threw a whole bunch of things now into 2021 that probably weren't expected. And then some things happened where we felt like we needed to take advantage of the RV. So we're taking some trips that, again, weren't really planned. So our budget is off a little bit in 2021. But I can say... With full confidence, having tracked every ounce of our budget in Hawaii for three weeks in Hawaii, our all-in cost using travel rewards was just over $3,500 for a family of five. That was using multiple different card strategies, but that covered everything. It covered groceries. It covered food. It covered like food that we ate out. It covered all of our gas expenses, because that is way more expensive in Hawaii. It covered everything. So that was everything all in. It was 
and I'm not remembering the exact number if it was closer to 4,000 or if it was closer to 3,500. But there are times when people think $2,500 will only cover the lodging, which can be true. So that is a place where if you are designing kind of the ultimate experience or If you want to take your travel experience up a notch, travel rewards can be a really helpful tool in your back pocket. I hope this journey and walking through some examples from our travel story with and without kids gives you some perspective on our travel budget, just ways we go about approaching a travel from a budget perspective, but also from an experience perspective. So with that, I have eight key takeaways from this episode. Number one. Know what aspects of your travel budget are negotiable. Find the balance between value and cost. High price doesn't always equal high value and vice versa. Low cost doesn't always equal low value. Number two, tourism is designed to play on your emotions. They know that when people are on vacation, they expect to pay more money. Challenge that status quo. How can you get the benefits from a vacation experience without the added vacation price tag? Number three, build your network to get insights into local and free options for attractions or even safe areas to stay off the beaten path. Number five, look for ways to optimize your budget by designing the experience. How might you hack gift cards, for example, or how might you gift experiences for birthdays or holidays, or how could you even research what is all even available as an option within an attraction? We once had free baseball game tickets because they had a community science program offering. There's always another way. If it's worth your time, investigate what those options are. Number six, what aspects of your travel budget actually qualify as a vacation expense versus a living expense? If you maintain a similar lifestyle while on vacation, you can maintain the spending in your traditional budget categories. For example, for us, groceries and gas might be similar to our traditional living expenses. Number seven, try to align expectations through the lens of the kids. Many of the aspects of vacation parents imagine will be outside what's conscious to young children, especially at early ages. Try to engage the kid's voice in the planning and decision-making when appropriate. Don't always assume that your summit is their summit. Number eight, travel with infants and toddlers is relatively inexpensive. Their tickets and admission are free or discounted in many places and often don't add much to the overall cost. While traveling at every age is fun, don't discount travel with infants. Sometimes people question, well, will they remember it? Well, I would challenge you. Infants don't remember the books we read to them either. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Travel can support many different aspects of children's development. It has been so fun. I always love hearing from my listeners. If you are finding value from the show, go ahead and subscribe both on the podcast or go to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash subscribe and follow the areas and the topics that are of most interest to you. Until then, I hope you keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. 
subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.